0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Greetings, salutations, and welcome to The Worship Review. This is a podcast where we critically evaluate the songs that are being sung in the church. My name is Colin. I'm a history professor at a large research institution in the Midwest of the United States, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. I'm Tyler, and I come in peace. (laughs) Thank goodness, because you're in the room with me. Uh, So, we are going to ask three questions of a song. We ask who or what is the song about? We ask what happens in the song? We ask, is the song consistent, coherent, and clear? And then we give a recommendation. And because right now on the Worship Review, we're looking at worship songs, the recommendation is whether the song should be sung in Congregational setting in a church service. And today, the song that we are going to be evaluating is called Lion and the Lamb by Bethel Music. Who or what is the song about? I ain't lying here. Um, excuse me.
0: <laughs>
1: We're going to look at the um, listener. <laughs> We're going to look at the, list- the listenership for this song. And there's just going to be this big drop.
0: <laughs> right there.
1: Yeah. Why is it that after uh, two minutes, just stopped listening? I don't know you got, why.
0: You got tired of it. Colin, you might find this hard to believe because his name is not stated. At least the name that he was uh that we refer to him as generally Jesus, but this song is about Jesus. Okay. We see him given many names, many scriptural, biblical names, uh, such as the Lord Almighty, the Lion of Judah, the Lion of the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain, the King of Kings, the God who saves, the Lord Almighty. I'm I'm dumb, I already said the Lord Almighty. That's okay. Um, So these titles and the descriptions of these titles – follow from one another in a kind of tenuous relationship of word association, but they are all about Jesus. Yeah. And they are all biblical. Uh, However, in order to unpack the meaning of many of these, you need some biblical background knowledge that this song doesn't necessarily offer you, and nor could it reasonably, but it could give a little bit more background. So, for example, the Lion of Judah, it's not clear from the song, why it's important that he be of the tribe of Judah, Mm -hmm. for example. But uh, scripture makes it clear that that's the rightful king. The king will come from the tribe of Judah.
1: Isn't it better to say the lion of Judah than just the lion? And isn't it better to say the lamb who was slain than just the lamb? Like, it is a shame that they don't explain the deeper meaning of those terms. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of better, I think, than... The alternative of not giving those full titles.
0: Yeah, and why Why is that better, Colin?
1: You know, if you just hear the word lion, we have a metaphorical vocabulary for what a lion is. Mm -hmm. We would just think fierce, strong, hungry, proud. Proud probably being the most Mm -hmm. important one. But we wouldn't necessarily connect it to the fulfillment of prophecy that was made about the Lion of Judah or the Lamb we think gentle we think docile we might even think tasty you know the lo- the lamb who was slain is a very specific reference
0: no i definitely agree with you the the specificity is lacking here and it would have been nice to have but they are not they're not making up titles for him either they're just not giving yeah. full titles
1: yeah um and well they're not fully explaining those titles yes yeah indeed and weirdly enough they're giving every single name for jesus except by Jesus.
0: Jesus. Yeah. Which I mean, we even get the name G- the God who saves. Yeah. Which I I wonder if that's a tenuous reference to Jesus's given name because it uh, comes from Yehoshua, yes, meaning of God or Yahweh saves and I wonder yes. are they are they kind of is this intentional because yeah. they've totally left out Jesus but they've given yeah. Almost every other name that we could find for it. They didn't have Messiah or something like that, or yeah. the anointed one,
1: but It's like a, you know, th- there are those games where you you can't actually say the name, but yes. you can say everything else about it and try to yeah. get someone to guess. And Skaldic poetry is like this too. If you
0: need to offend someone, it's illegal to slander them
1: with oh, your words. Oh, so so you, you
0: find really clever ways to slander yes. someone. Like if your name is Noble Stone, like Aldstein, you will say like highborn rock. And you will insult Highborn Rock. Right.
1: Tyler, so. you're you're wrong. Once a law is made about something, all that behavior immediately stops.
0: Wait, yeah. People, what am I thinking? Yeah.
1: People do not find ways to work around laws, Tyler. You're ridiculous.
0: Let alone, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and chronologically, we're dealing here with the second coming.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's either now or the future. Yeah. I was was reading some biblical commentaries on the uh, psalm on which this is based. Right. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So, many, so this is written to initially probably commemorate the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Yeah. It's been extended to many different purposes. So, Matthew, Henry, would extend it to, at least, to the conversion of the Christian um, that we are then, once we have been saved, we are to rejoice at the coming of Christ into our lives. Yeah. And Christ comes, or the lion comes, to save us from slavery. His blood breaks the chains apart.
1: Now, how do you know that the chains are slavery?
0: Yes, very good, Colin. Very good. I have inferred that the chains—you <laughs> are you very good at this. I have inferred that the chains are slavery chains. Yeah, they're it's, not gold chains. Although I saw a right. video of this performed, and the guy had a, around his neck yeah. a chain with a with a key hanging off of yeah. it. That's not the kind of chain that's being. Broken. No,
1: but why aren't? Yeah, why aren't the chains? My belief that I can't be president of. I was going to say the United States, Canada, because right? you're
0: tethered to this, and you don't want that to be severed. Right. Is that way, I'm
1: just saying what What are the chains? It's, we don't know. We don't know what the chains are.
0: Indeed, but every chain will break. We know from this song, so I agree with you. It's not clear that these chains are chains of slavery. For the sake of argument, I'm going to assume that this is a chain of slavery, um, and th- if that's true, then that's a theme that we would see in Scripture of Christ setting the captive. for example
1: we see uh, our God is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world his blood breaks the chains so there's a direct connection there between his blood breaks the chains and then right before that we see that the sins of the world are kind of connected to that but that brings up a problem because this isn't the only time in the song that chains are mentioned nope we have chains being mentioned in the first verse Coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down, and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. So, there, we have chains also. And I am not sure. There could be two things happening. One is that chains are used consistently as a metaphor in this song, in which case those chains would also be a euphemism for sin. But the... Conclusion would be there for... That, that, that all sins, all people will be... Freed from. Freed from sin, and presumably its consequences and everything else. Or the metaphor is mixed, and this first mention of chains in the first verse is just saying that the chains are, are euphemisms for broken hearts. Hmm. So, hmm. broken hearts have been freed hmm. to declare his praise, and so every broken heart is freed.
0: Is it possible that he's coming... That they're interpreting his second coming in glory to be one bringing proper justice to the world. And so, if there are any slaves, any human slaves, real physical human slaves at the time of the second coming, this is the moment of liberation for them? Or am I going way too far off the deep end?
1: Well, I just, I think you could say that if we found a warrant for that in the language. But we just have, he's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. So there are kings that are going to bow down, and then every chain will break as broken hearts.
0: I, I wonder if the kings bowing down implies a uh, a a crumbling of like authority old structures forms of or something. Rule. Yes, I'm not saying I buy into that. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. what if that's what they meant? That's what they the mean. kings were meant to identify as maybe wicked kings, and the chains being broken are chains of oppression or something like that.
1: Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, you could. You, but in I, any
0: way, it's either consistent and has troubling theological implications, or it's inconsistent and yeah. has dubious.
1: Yeah, just kind of unclear implications. So if chains is a consistent euphemism for slavery to sin, then we have problems because if every chain will break, uh, then we're looking into some kind of universalism. It is not going to be the case that all slaves to sin are going to be freed from sin and its consequences. So, he says in Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, I won't read all of it, but I'll skip a little bit, but, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so he's talking about the very thing that this song is talking about, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And I'm going to skip to 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46 says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right? Jesus cannot be more clear. On the day that he comes in his glory, he is going to separate people out. Not every chain will be broken. Mm. Not every all people will be freed from the consequences of sin. He's going to say to some people, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. And that will be a horrible thing to hear. Hmm. And uh, and woe to those who will hear that. And I thank God that not through anything I have done that I get to be in the group of sheep.
0: Hmm. Um, we haven't even talked about this, but this isn't Chains, but it seems very related in the uh, second verse open up the gates, make way before the king of kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the
1: captives okay, yeah. free. very similar.
0: Yes, so not chains, but again, it's either underscoring a kind of uh, liberation of all captives from their slavery to sin or another kind of liberation of people from captivity.
1: Chains are often used in worship music as a euphemism for, for sin, and we... R- read and hear in many songs, chains being broken. But actually, the thrust in the New Testament is not on chains being broken. It's actually when chains are used in the New Testament, apart from when Peter is set free in Acts 12, chains in the New Testament are almost always a euphemism for persecution, and they're described as being present, as as not being removed that actually like paul talks numerous times about just bearing chains and being in chains now he's literally in under house arrest during you know when he's writing some of the epistles but that's not always the case in some places in the new testament there's just a sense that in this life we will be christians will be in chains, we'll have to bear chains. Mm-hmm. Not metaphorical chains of sin, but actual chains of persecution. And so, um, it's true that we will have our chains of sin removed, but the Bible actually doesn't, I don't think, use that metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's a nice metaphor, I'm not saying it shouldn't be used, but we, if we start to think about chains as always being something that we get to be freed from, uh, we miss the richer understanding of chains and more complex understanding of chains that we actually see in Scripture, which is in there are some chains that are meant to be born by the Christians that are, in fact, a mark of honor, that are a mark of of taking up our cross Mm -hmm. and following Christ.
0: Mm -hmm. And, in fact, Paul, many times in his letters to his churches will say, a servant of Christ, which a could slave. theoretically be translated as a slave. Yes, to it Christ. is a bond slave. Yeah. So not, this isn't a you know a freeman. No, he is describing himself as joyfully, yeah, a servant,
1: yeah, of Christ. Slave is a common image of a Christian. A Christian is a slave. Uh, God is our master, and a Christian also endures chains by means of persecution. Mm-hmm
0: when you conquered a people you would lead them back into your city not as freedmen
1: no 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 they yes. were
0: your captives yes. at that point
1: a slave sedus comes from the latin seduatus which is one who is spared hmm. so it means you should have died when your city was conquered but your life was spared therefore you're welcome your life yeah you therefore you owe your life like that's why that's the rationale for slavery for the romans is that your life was spared you owe us your life mm-hmm. so you if you want to be freed of slavery you're going to have to pay for the equivalent of of your life back until then you're you're kind of in a a state in between a thing and a human you're almost like a zombie you're like the undead you've 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 died in a way your your old name is gone your old culture's gone and you're 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 a living thing. The Romans actually would have called it a speaking tool. You're a speaking tool, so you're you're in between a thing and a person.
0: That is horrifying.
1: Yeah, to think about. But mm. that's why that uh, that's why the idea of slavery seemed totally natural to the Romans. Mm-hmm. But there's a kind of logic to it, mm-hmm. right? You you had your life spared, so of course you owe you you owe an obligation. I mean, the Roman Roman culture is all about these obligations uh, that we owe to to people who do things for us, Mm -hmm. patron, client, obligations.
0: Yeah, so there's a good reason to think that when Christ is leading a host of captives, he's leading a group of people into his service. Yeah, that's right. Which we, as Christians, are pleased to profess.
1: It's not making them autonomous.
0: And thank God, because in, in my own... I am prone to sin in my autonomy. Well, yeah, we've
1: demonstrated that by being slaves to sin in the first place. Yeah. So, we're, like, were this hypothetical situation to be true, where Christ could lead us into autonomy, we would simply fall back again into sin. Every one of us. Right. Yeah. So, praise God that he took such flawed beings as us and chose to make us his slaves. Who can stop? Tyler, what happens in the song? Well, Christ acts.
0: Christ is coming on the clouds. That's the first action we see, of Christ. Christ is roaring with power. Christ is fighting our battles. Christ is coming to save. And Christ was slain for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Christ's blood yes. breaks the chains. hmm which made me think of a kind of like acidic substance or something that yeah. would, you know, break chains. Uh, every knee will bow. So that's obviously a, a metaphor from scripture. Mm-hmm. Probably not just a metaphor. I'm sure it's also literal. Yeah. We will all, you know, bow in subjugation. Yes. Kings and kingdoms will bow. Uh, broken hearts declare his praise. So we have some some presupposed broken hearts. Um. And curiously, the declaration of his praise by these broken hearts actually breaks chains, which I I found kind of interesting, too.
1: Which is weird, because it's clearly meant to be clever. Every chain will break as broken hearts, right? So you use break in two different ways there.
0: Very clever.
1: Very clever. But it it actually, in in being clever, it it obscures.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a broken image at that point.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and we are to open the gates for Christ. This is a, an imperative in this verse, in this song.
1: Well, someone is to.
0: So open up the gates. So someone's being told to. We're to make way before the King of Kings. Um, and finally, we learn that no one can stop the Lord God Almighty. So th- those are the things that are happening in this song. Israel. I was curious about the line that God fights our battles, because obviously this has precedent in scripture, Yeah, but it refers to God accomplishing his purposes and demanding that Israel not intervene in his plans, right? So, the the, the most yeah. obvious example is the parting of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. and Moses tells the people, do not fight, do not try and, yeah. you know, take up arms against Egyptian chariots, flee across the sea, yeah. and God will fight your right. battles. That's, to me... Now, I'm not indicting this song for something that I have imposed on it, but it seems plausible to me that someone might sing this song and think, oh, there's a struggle in my life. Yeah. God will fight this battle for me. Right, right. That's not what is meant in Scripture by that.
1: No, what's meant in Scripture is we can trust God, right? That's what that means, is we think we think that we need to fight or or Israel thought that it needed to fight certain battles in certain ways and pursue certain strategies. But God's strategies were often totally weird and demanded trust. Like, no, don't go attack the city of Jericho, march around it for several days and give a shout and blow the trumpets. Like, you know, drag the Ark of the Covenant around it. Like it takes a lot of trust to do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, but what's being said here, yeah, we don't want to put, we don't want to infuse too much meaning in it, but it would be easy. We don't have to infuse meaning into it. It just says that God is roaring with power and fighting our battles. And it doesn't, because the song doesn't tell us what that means, we could interpret that in myriad ways.
0: It leaves it, it actually leaves it to us to interpret yeah. it.
1: Yeah mentioned this before for numerous songs. And, and again, if people are wondering, well, why why would you criticize what the song isn't actually doing? Like the song doesn't tell you to have the bad interpretation, but here's the difference. This is a song that is meant to be sung and indeed is being sung in a corporate worship setting. And that is important. In a corporate worship setting, you can't just have... Well, this is a, I admit, this is a premise that we have. This is a, an expectation that we have. It does not make sense. It seems to be against what is being said in First Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter fourteen about orderly services, orderly worship, to have everybody just singing whatever they want and imagining whatever they want. Corporate worship is done in unity for the edification of the body because we are the body of Christ. In other words, we're a corporate Mm -hmm. church gathered is corporate. Mm -hmm. So we should sing in unity. We should sing in a way and we should worship in a way that God tells us to do. And so we can't just sing songs that leave up, leave things up to the imagination because we will be in disunity and disorder. And we may even be in error. We may even engage in heresy. Mm. So while, yes, we can't say Bethel music is responsible per se for every interpretation that we could have of some line like fighting our battles, what we can say is because it isn't well-defined creates a problem for singing it in a setting in which God has very clear instructions mm-hmm. for how we are to worship him.
0: It, it, it is worth underscoring the fact that we don't live in a culture right now where we are absolutely terrified of a neighboring tribe, tribe coming and wiping us yes. off the face of the planet. So when we read the word fights our battles— I, I personally don't think of me going yeah. out into, you know, the field myself. I have to interpret that metaphorically. Yeah. And, and so does everyone else in in the culture that I'm living in. Yeah.
1: There are probably a few places in the world where there'd be a literal interpretation of this, but overwhelming majority population this has to be interpreted metaphorically. Mm-hmm. In which case then it really opens it up. Yeah. Because people talk
0: about their battle with cancer, their yeah. battle with alcoholism, their battle with any number of things. Yeah, but
1: also maybe their their battle with a marriage, Mm -hmm. or maybe even a battle with somebody in the church, and they could interpret this as, okay, God's gonna embarrass that woman at church that I don't like, that thinks she's so righteous, you know, or I should be on the worship team, and uh, this other guy is leading the worship, and God's gonna fight my battle. He's gonna Obviously, those are rare interpretations of the line, but they're not outside the realm of possibility, mm-hmm. because the song doesn't give us any any guidance. Right. No fodder for the canon. So yeah. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain, for
0: the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains.
1: I really like that this song says the Lamb was slain for the sins of the world, so... Even though the song is oriented towards the future, when it describes the lamb, it talks about what he did in the past in a very specific way, it says, for the sins of the world. You know, it echoes First uh, John chapter 2, verse 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also the sins of the whole world. I suppose that is getting us a little bit into clarity and coherence. Uh, is this song clear?
0: I'm going to have to say no, Colin? Uh, I wish I didn't have to say no, because there's some things that I really like about this song, but it's not clear, as we've already mentioned, what the chains are. It's not clear what the broken hearts are meant to represent, or why they're broken. Um, It's not clear what exactly is doing the breaking of the chains, whether it's the blood of Christ or the the praise of the broken hearts. Um, It's, uh, frankly, unfortunately, I I wish it were more clear, but I have to say, it's, it's not clear... What the opening of the gates? Uh, what the opening of the gates is meant to to imply here?
1: Even though we have an anchor in scripture, it it's it's pulled out as a way and not situated into a context that makes sense. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, which parallels the many uses of these names of Jesus, which are all pulled from scripture, but yeah. pulled out of context in such a way that leaves you scratching your head a bit, trying to figure out what the coherent narrative is that you're trying to, well, that you're praising God for.
1: It's a hard criticism to levy at a song because you want to, I don't know, it's like when a student, so I make my students cite things. I demand that they give me evidence for their arguments. And there are sometimes students interpret that as, well, I'm just going to quote material like crazy. Like I'm going to go to the primary sources and I'm going to quote all this stuff in my essays. And oftentimes when a student does that, I want to give them a good grade, but then it's like, okay, well, you you quoted lots of stuff, but you've given me no, just stringing together a, a set of things from the primary sources doesn't necessarily lead to a coherent historical argument, right? And the same is true about a song like this, which draws heavily and, you know, specifically on lots of scriptural motifs, and names and titles and images but it just it just slams them in there in different ways and it's it's clearly you know it's trying to give a powerful sense of god is coming mm-hmm. he's coming in power he's coming as the lion but he's also the lamb and it's trying to really hit that home but it's almost like it just throws everything at you. It's like shooting it with a shotgun to bring up another yet another weapon mm-hmm. metaphor that we've been you know, be using, weapon metaphors, this whole podcast. But um, it's a shotgun, and so it just lacks the finesse of, of an argument. It lacks the coherence of a good worship song, even though it's got great source material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's a, that's a good example. Because it's, it's meant to be sung in a way that's quite triumphant, and many of the renditions of this song are triumphant. Yeah. They're shouting the chorus, yeah. everyone's stomping and yeah. praising God. And
1: The pieces are good, the sum is not better than the parts.
0: Yeah, and it's unique among worship songs because it's, des- it's specifically describing things to come at the second coming of Christ, which we often don't get. We'll often get an emphasis yeah. on uh, maybe verbs of perception of an individual in the moment— But this song is quite declarative Mm -hmm. about the things that we have to come. It's just unfortunate that it doesn't do that in a way that is more reader-friendly or listener-friendly. Yeah.
1: Okay, so Tyler, would you recommend that this song be sung in a corporate setting?
0: I would not, for its lack of detail.
1: Would you? As I've said in a previous podcast, I want to be charitable in especially when I don't know, I don't know a nice way to put this. My expectations for Bethel music are not as high as I have for say, Stuart Townend or Keith and Kristen Getty or something. Or
0: even Hillsong at this point. Some yeah, even Hillsong. Some of their songs have been clearer. okay. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, so I really want to commend Bethel for going into scripture so well when some of their songs just are, do not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, the coherence issues and some of the some of the problems with the metaphors and some of the ambiguities and, and this sort of thing is probably enough to say, I would lean away from it. I, I'll put it that way. I'd lean away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so what did you give the song as a rating?
0: I give the song two out of five cups of coffee. And that's because the version on YouTube that I watched is a live version of Bethel... Music doing this song, and there are three people, three, well, there are many people on stage, let me think. That <laughs> it is Bethel music after all. <laughs> but there are three prominent singers. The lead singer is a man, and he has a cup of coffee on the floor next to his stand, his okay. music stand. And the whole time I'm watching this music video, I can't help but look for that cup of coffee, because I just think at some point it's going to get knocked over, because the, the woman next to him is dancing, dancing a little bit more enthusiastically than I I have ever seen at even at parties. And then there's a third woman next to him, next to the guy with the coffee. Who she's flanking him with the other woman who's dancing, who's not wearing shoes. And so the whole time I'm just waiting for this one woman to kick this man's coffee all over this other woman's bare feet. But it doesn't happen. They managed to Thank do Thank goodness. It, I would not have the courage to set my cup of coffee down
1: on that stage. You know, coffee spills are really the bane of every church's existence, of poor people that have to clean the church, which is why if churches are smart, they they use brown carpet. Mm. Right?
0: Or they just don't let people.
1: That is sacrilege. <laughs> sacrilege. All churches must have coffee.
0: Coffee bar and donuts. Yeah, if donuts you're smart. or
1: you know, yeah, In the UK, I'm so sorry. How um, how amero centric of us is that a word? Why
0: don't we talk about the German church? A little
1: well, yes. Yeah, so the
0: my church in Germany would have a little coffee and tea bar at, after the service. Yes, it's nice yeah. because it actually brought people to conversation over their coffee
1: can't have anything to eat before the surface service in a German church, because during the five whole 10 whole minutes before the service, <laughs> it's silent and everyone would hear people chewing Yeah, I because it is have. so silent that you could drop a pin.
0: Well, you have to start on time.
1: Yeah, that's right too. Of course, no, everybody would be there. Yes. Just sitting quietly waiting with their, with their hands in their lap. Just waiting.
0: I don't see the problem here. <laughs> no.
1: No, obviously. Our current church actually does, does this. Mm-hmm. Sits quietly for about five minutes.
0: What did you give this song?
1: I gave this song two out of five Christian tourist trips to Israel. Because in the version that I watched, they had appropriated a uh, amphitheater in Caesarea. Bethel Music had and was leading some kind of thing concert it didn't look like a church service I'm not sure what it was you yeah, know it
0: looked like millennia old
1: yeah it, well it certainly was at least around 2,000 years old I'm sure
0: thank you so much for
1: enduring this episode <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to the worship review and please like comment send us an email follow us on twitter tell your friends all those good things
0: bye <laughs>